us know the heart of Jesus? Do we know his wants and the things that he longs for? Because these guys are a great example to see that, that they know what their king wants. And even though he just said it, you know, Jesus has said a lot in his word. We know what he longs for. Okay, so we have the qualities of a a mighty man of God. Prayer, number one. Uh, The word of God, number two. Faithfulness. And now we've seen the sacrifice from these guys. They're willing to sacrifice their lives and give everything so their king can have what his heart longs for and that's the question what's it going to cost us David's mighty men were there to serve their king at any cost. When King David makes a passing comment that he would like some spring water, the mighty men jump into action and get what their king wants. In his message today, Pastor Mark asks if you are willing to sacrifice for your king. Do you even know what God longs for and wants? It is easy to see the heart of Jesus. You only need to open his father's word, the Bible. Once you learn what your father wants, are you willing to make the sacrifice like King David's mighty men? Use this as a starting point to seek after God's heart and fulfill His commandments. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 23 for today's edition of Come Alive. So one of the things when I took place, I was like, wow, we're Christians. And we don't even miss a time of prayer, time of spending time with the Lord. And people can say, well, yeah, but, you know, we do it at home. And that's great. You should do it at home. But, you know, people ask for it the ones that ask. And so then all of a sudden you got people going, hey man, it'd really be cool to have another Bible study about. And you're like, oh cool. So you cannot show up to that one as well. And it's not that I'm upset. It's just like we have things, but people just don't show up to them. And so we need to be those people. Maybe God's testing you to say, hey, have you stood your ground in keeping your commitment? When you said, yeah, you're going to be there. Are you there? In those little things, if you notice, there's a lot of mighty men that are just names at the end of this chapter. When you look at verse 24, they're just names. It doesn't really tell what they've done, but it just lists a bunch of names. And it's a great place to be in that list because you're included in the mighty men. But you see this guy who guards bean fields. And now you might ask, well, how great is that? That might be like the security guard at some place that just guards a stack of rotten tires, but he's faithful in his job. And we can all say, well, yeah, but he got paid to do that. I don't think this guy got paid to do it to risk his life for lentils. And so the small act of courage allows us a lesson for generations to come because we see this guy forever in the Bible. He's probably changed lives for people. Somebody probably looked and said, hey, this guy was a guard of bean fields and he was attacked and he fought. Man, I can do that. I can guard something. I'll guard my family and I'll fight the enemy when he comes in and tries to steal away the thoughts of my children, whether it's through the television or some crazy magazine ad or some kid down the street whose parents have corrupted that guy. But I'm going to stand guard, and I'm going to try to do whatever I can to change the situation in the lives of those people that the Lord's given me. I want to be that person. I want to protect them. And we are called to be protectors. And so sometimes we read through our Bibles, and we might say, man, I don't get it, but I get it. 
I, I get this because if you look at 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, it says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, who's Paul talking to here? Well, he's talking to Christians. And we're Christians. The church is Christians. Supposed to be. Always give yourselves fully. Give all that you have to working for Christ, to doing the things that that God has asked us to do, even in the small things, whether it's changing diapers. And, you know, one of the funny things is, is I've never seen, you know, and I think pastors, when we get to heaven, we're going to be those guys who get the, the, the smallest, like, treasures, and the guys who are like the janitors are going to get the bigger ones. Because here's why. Oftentimes people say, hey, thanks, man. It really spoke to me. God bless you. And there's Pastor Appreciation Week, which is cool. But there's not Diaper Changer Appreciation Week. We don't see them being appreciated that way. And we don't see, you know, people appreciating the donut cart person. The worship guy is always like, oh, man, that was awesome. It was great music and gets a pat on the back, too. It's the guys behind the microphones that usually get the little bit of the treasure here on, on earth. And that's, that's where our treasure is. I really have to say that. I think it's right here sometimes. And we'll get it in heaven as well because there's those behind the scene things that everyone does. But the diaper changing person and the person that signs in the kids at the desk, those guys, anybody ever say thank you to them? The people watching your children and protecting them, keeping them from eating the bugs that are crawling around on the floor while they're crawling around on the floor. Like, oh, no, no, don't eat that. Those are the guys that are the bean field protectors. They don't get a lot of appreciation is what I'm trying to say. So not that we need be appreciated all the time, but God notices our work in the Lord for the Lord. He notices their work. They're going to get their due reward. And I think it's going to be huge. You're going to get there and you're going to be to heaven and be like, wow. And you're going to see that diaper changer up there on that next level if there's platforms for great service. And you'll be like, man, why am I down here? Oh, that's the diaper changer. Yeah, they deserve to be up on that top level. Look at verse 13. Let's move on. Then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephraim. And David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it, brought it to David. And nevertheless, he would not drink it, but he poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. Now, Abishai, so here what we see are these guys are holed up in a cave. Remember, they're, they're hiding out. And David's probably sitting there, and he, and he remembers this well in Bethlehem that he had drank water from. And he remembers the taste of the water. I don't know if any of you have ever drank out of a real well, but in New Mexico, my grandfather had... Um, a, a spring in the back of his house, and he would he used to send me out there to go get these bottles of water out of these glass jars, and I'd bring these big ones, and I would just dip it in that water right where it would come bubbling out of the ground. It was like a little pond, and then it was a stream. I would put it down in there, and I'd be walking back, and it would be hot, and I'd take a big drink of that super cold water, and it had a specific taste. Now, some of you are like, yeah, it tasted like dirt. No, it didn't taste like dirt. It tasted way better than the water that came out of the faucet. This is pre-bottled water. 
I would drink that water and it was like, oh man, that was awesome. It tasted better than the water we had in Dallas when we lived in Dallas and we had a pretty good water system there as kids. It tasted better than anything. And I remember that taste as I was reading this. I thought, oh yeah, that taste. I remember that spring. And it's since been covered up, but David's probably sitting in this cave. He's hot. It's after a battle. He'd love to have a drink of water. And he remembers the taste, and he just kind of thinks out loud, oh, Lord, it would be so awesome to have a sip of that water. So these three guys hear it, and they're like, hey, yeah, you know what? We're, we're in this cave, and, and we'll go get it for you. Oh, we'll go get it. In his heart, he's thinking how great it would be and how great this would taste. And so these guys, he's not really given an order, but these guys hear what their king was thinking. It makes me wonder how many of us, how many of us hear and know the heart of God, our king? How many of us know the heart of Jesus? Do we know his wants and the things that he longs for? Because these guys are a great example to see that, that they know what their king wants. And even though he just said it, you know, Jesus has said a lot in his word. We know what he longs for. Okay, so we have the qualities of a a mighty man of God. Prayer, number one. Uh, The word of God, number two. Faithfulness. And now we've seen the sacrifice from these guys. They're willing to sacrifice their lives and give everything so their king can have what his heart longs for. And that's a question. What's it going to cost us? What's it going to cost us, you and I? Sacrifice will cost you something. David said, I cannot offer the Lord something that costs me nothing. Let me put it this way. If you walk out of here today and you're like, oh, cool, man. I've sacrificed today. I went to church. You're completely wrong. It cost you nothing coming to church. Considering some of the things that are on TV this morning, there's not a lot of great stuff. So it really cost you nothing. And so these guys go to Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. They go into the house of bread to get water. Water brings life. And this is a picture of you going to the house of bread, to God's house, to worship, to be filled with living water, and to have, you got to get there. You've got to make it past the enemy, the excuses. I I think all of us wake up with like, man, you know, I can think of a thousand reasons maybe not to come to church. And so some people might think that or like, oh, man, I'm too tired or I don't feel I shouldn't have stayed up. I shouldn't have ate that last night. My stomach hurts. I I don't want to go because it's whatever. It's hot outside. And by the time we get to that 11 o'clock service in that metal building, man, it's going to be cooking in there. And so we have the enemy says, oh, yeah, no, 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 we don't want you to go. We're going to go ahead and station ourselves all around you with excuses and reasons for you not to come to church. But these guys, they get the water, they give it to their king, and he knows what they went through for the water. And David says, I have got to sacrifice it as well. And so what he does is he dumps it out. And these guys are probably looking at each other going, for real? We just did all that. We risk our lives and you just pour it on the ground, bro? Uh, is this, are you serious? And so this we could say is David, he's worshiping his God. He poured out that which was most precious to him. And so oftentimes we need to do that. What is most precious to us is the poor. Maybe it's that comfort. Maybe it's that extra little bit of sleep. And so he continues to be an example to his guys, to these men. And so the question is here is, are we the people of prayer? Are we the people of the word? Are we people of faithfulness. And even though it may not be convenient and it may not be comfortable, but are we those people of faithfulness or are we those that are wanting to be safe and looking to be found faithful? And we need to understand what that means because sometimes we just don't want to leave. We don't want to do anything because we're afraid, but we want to be faithful, but we're afraid, but we want to be faithful. And God says, Hey, just that sacrifice, it's got to cost you something. And it might be a little fear, 
But if you trust in me, I'll get you through it. And so that's what these guys did. David was an example because they remembered, hey, you know what? He conquered a giant. He was in a cave. He was feeling horrible. He got alone with God. God changed him. And so he could change us. So if David can do it, we can do it. If these guys can do it, you and I can do it. Look at verse 18. It says, now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief of another three. He lifted his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. Was he not the most honored of the three? Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. So we see another great conquest, 300 men killed with a spear. I mean, this guy was a a poke and stab and jab and fool. You know, he's running around out there in the fields and he's battling and battling hard and fast. And this is my, one of my favorite guy right here, verse 20. Benaniah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he had killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, did and won a name among the three mighty men. And so when we look at this, we're like thinking, okay, so we're seeing some more stuff to be mighty. Well, what could this possibly be? Well, to be mighty, you need to be a person of prayer, person of the word, to be faithful, to be seen with sacrificial worship. And then also here, finally, we see confidence, confidence. Now, both of these guys, the one who kills 300 and then Benaniah, we see that both of these guys had to have some type of confidence because when you're going up against 300 people with just a spear, you better be real confident about what you can do and what you can accomplish. And so here, all these things will birth, all the things prior to confidence will birth confidence in you because if you just... I mean, you think about it. In life, there's going to be lion-like men. There's going to be lion-like consequences. There's going to be big men, giants that are loud, tough. They may try to intimidate. Or for instance, when someone telling me the other day of a demon-possessed dude that they, they were like, hey, man, I know this guy has been coming and, and uh, his, mom's, or his mom's been coming to our church, our fellowship, and she says her son's demon-possessed. And I was like, Dude, if you need somebody to go with you, I'm willing to run. I'm real willing to run with you. I'll go. And he was like, you're not afraid? And I'm like, well, of what? Uh, yeah, I, I have a respect there. Don't get me wrong. I have that respect, that sense of an immediate danger there. It could be dangerous. That a demon-possessed person's usually pretty strong. Early on in my walk, I got to see that, and it would kind of freak me out and scared me. And I saw what a little old lady did to a young, healthy man who, who the man told me that he was a pastor. He was like, this lady's demon-possessed. And it was, it was creepy and freaky. I'm not going to get into the story, but it was creepy. And I remember standing in the back just praying. That's all I could do was pray. And it kind of did scare me. But now after kind of seeing that and dealing with it in a couple of different areas over the last 10 years, uh, now I'm, I'm not afraid like I used to be where it like really worries me. I, I do have a healthy respect. Because I base my life off he who is in me is stronger than he who is in the world. And so I know that Jesus lives in me, but I do have that healthy respect for the damage that they can do. And so if I'm not aware of their strength, then I can get hurt. And so it it breeds a confidence. There needs to be that confidence in us as Christians that we don't need to be afraid of the things that the devil tries to bring about. And so Benaniah, again, one of my favorite guys in the Bible, on a snowy day, he chases a lion into a pit and kills it. 
And the Bible tells us that Satan walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so what got Benaniah to the point where he was willing to chase a lion in the pit was the two lion-like characters, the two lion-like men that he fought and conquered. And so the Lord allows us these little steps of progression to go through. There are these things we must conquer in our lives. It could be a sin. It could be something else. It could be somebody at your workplace trying to intimidate you, trying to tell you, hey, you need to get that Bible off your desk. You shouldn't read that. It's not true. And we may feel intimidated by it because we don't feel smart enough, but the Lord says, hey, I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to let you conquer this. And I was talking about being in a, in a nursery, not a kid's nursery, but a plant nursery the other day. And there were some guys that are just kind of being rude and rough and crass. And I just kind of threw out some scripture and it shut it down. And this is what we're going to see next here with Benaniah. Not only does he kill a lion, but he takes an Egyptian and he takes the Egyptian's weapon away from him and defeats him with his own weapon. How do we unarm someone? Well, as Christians, we unarm them with God's word. Uh, nothing can stand against truth. Truth is truth. If somebody fell and bumped their head on the concrete, we would all say, wow, that person fell and bumped their head on the concrete. And if there was one person watching going, no, he didn't bump his head on the concrete, we'd all be like, there's something wrong with you. You're either blind or you just don't know the truth. And so nothing would stand against the truth. And if there's a knot that develops on that person's head, we're like, okay, well, if he didn't bump his head on anything, how'd that grow there? And so there's those absurdities that will happen sometimes, but nothing stands against the truth. God's word doesn't return void. And so you can unarm them with their own stuff. You take away their weapon and you can defeat them with it. Again, when you see Benaniah, he's chasing a lion in the snow. He didn't have Gore-Tex boots or a North Face jacket or anything. He just chases this thing for whatever reason. We're not told why he's chasing a lion, but I think it's cool that he's chasing the lion. And he jumps into a hole with it, and the lion's probably not very happy, and they fight, and he comes out on top. And then the Egyptian. They say this Egyptian stood over seven feet tall. Even the, his weapon most people wouldn't be able to even hold it or grasp it. And so he, he grabs it, takes it away from him, and he fights him, and he just, what's his weapon? It says he just has a staff, just a staff, a simple staff. There's no, no pointy end on it or anything. He just takes it away with that simple staff. And so our enemies are spiritual. You and me as Christians, our enemies are spiritual. And so what enemy do you face that seems impossibly tall? You can't grasp the weapons, and it seems impossible to hold on to, and it represents maybe a time of enslavement to you. Because even if you think about what Egypt was to the Israelites, for King David's nation, Egypt was called upon the mind of many, many times because of the centuries of, of slavery that Israel had been slaves to the Egyptians. When Benaniah fought the Egyptian, he fought a giant who stood over him, which represents slavery. So what kind of things are, could possibly be trying to enslave you? And again, he was able to disarm this man. He took away the threat that the world possesses by something real simple, by not looking at what he had and saying, man, I have less. Because his staff was less of a weapon than a spear. And I think a lot of times we as Christians, we look at what we have and we're like, man, we, I, I don't have what that guy has. And I'm intimidated and I'm afraid to, to go share my faith or to go talk to him or to befriend him because I, I don't have that. And that's not the way we, we need to act or behave. See, Benaniah had that staff. The Egyptian had a spear, yet he conquered the man with his own weapon. He took it away from him. 
And so how can we do that? Well, the word says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Our righteousness is from God. And when you think about it, I was reading about um, in Job this week and kind of studying and, and doing some stuff. And, and I found this passage and, and, and it says, talks about being upright. And upright means just cutting a straight path. Righteousness comes from that. Being upright, being righteous, just cutting a straight path, being straightforward with people as, as to who we are. And also with the Lord saying, hey, Lord, you know what? I'm looking at the stuff that these guys have, and, and they, they got a lot of stuff that they possess, and it, it's intimidating. I got this little staff, and that guy, he's intimidating. How can I get over there and conquer the world, that thing that's worldly, and do it in a loving way? Well, one, prayer. Two, God's word. Three, being faithful, sacrificial worship. And then all of that breeds confidence. Because if we don't have the confidence to do all those things, we're not going to accomplish a whole lot. Or we're going to be those weak Christians that the world sees us as. And when you really think about it, you know, somebody was asking me, hey, Mark, what do you think about what's going on in the world today? I was like, it's, it's our fault. It's Christians. It's all our fault. Oh, because we didn't take a stand. We didn't guard the bean field that the Lord gave us. We, we were given little and we wanted more, but we didn't protect that little thing that the Lord has given us. And so now we have to put up with prayer being taken out of school and in God we trust being taken off our money and other things that we lose. And yet, oh, well, we hear messages and we read the word and we're like, man, I want to be like those mighty men, but yet we're not faithful with the little things. We're not willing to raise our hands in prayer 800 times a day or however many times a day we need to do that. And we wonder why we lose battles and we wonder why we lose ground as Christians. And we wonder why our rights as Christians are being taken away and everyone else has more rights than we do. Oh, it's because we don't take a stand. And so let everyone leave. Uh, let let there be a few of us that just say, okay, cool, we'll stand here and we'll just do this praise size thing if we have to, 800 times a day or whatever number the Lord gives you. But where are you going to stand? Can you be a mighty man? Because, I mean, you think about these guys who they were first. They had problems, big problems. But they saw David get alone with God, and when we get alone with God, a lot of things can change because if God is on our side, if it's just me and God or you and God, then you're a majority against it doesn't matter how many and we see that these guys conquered 800 300 a whole philistine army a lion in a pit two giant lion lion like men and a giant egyptian well we can conquer those things we can walk out of this place wanting to be victorious and you can have the want all you you want comes down to doing what we're supposed to do praying reading god's word being faithful in the little things sacrificial worship and again all that will breed confidence We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor Mark's teaching in the book of 2 Samuel. We wish we had more time to spend with you, but sadly, we need to wrap up our broadcast today. Right now, though, you can hear more from Come Alive by visiting our website. At Come Alive Radio, you'll be able to listen to past teachings, connect with us on Instagram, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, too, so consider yourself invited to our Sunday services at Calvary Chapel Katy. You can find out more at comealiveradio.com or give us a call at 281-391-5503. Be sure to let us know how we can be lifting you up in prayer. Before we end our time with you, Tracy has a request to share. Here at Come Alive, we want to make sure we're following God. 
not what other people around us are saying. With everything we do, we want to honor our Creator and point people to salvation. That's where you come in. We'd appreciate your prayers for Pastor Mark and all of us here at Come Alive. Would you lift us up to the Lord each time you listen to our program? Thank you for interceding on our behalf. Would you consider donating to Come Alive too? Any amount is helpful, and you can easily donate by texting 77977. That's 77977. Thank you so much for prayerfully considering this, and thanks for tuning in to Come Alive.